Well, we're going to get started. Worship is an important litmus test for your life. Um, I think it's John Piper, yeah, in the book, Let the Nations Be Glad, which is a book on missions, and I've quoted this before. He said, he said, the goal of missions is not evangelism. The goal of missions is worship. He said, missions exist because worship does not. He said, the goal of missions is to bring the nations into the white-hot enjoyment of the glory of God. Hallelujah. And so, uh, it's, it shouldn't be an obligation. It's something, it should be part of our experience, and we'll probably talk about more of that this morning. But of coming into that relationship with God. And... Uh, so we want to worship him with all of our heart today. Furthermore, this morning, I feel like there's a joy in the room. Uh, Jesse began to share, share about joy. No, actually, I was sharing about joy, and he had gotten a, that. He laughed when I, when I prayed it. But uh, because this morning, the Lord gave him a scripture. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And so there is a joy that God wants us to experience the joy of the Lord is your strength. So if you're lacking strength, perseverance, the ability to follow hard after God, what you need is joy. And maybe we'll discover a little bit more this morning how to get into that. But joy is something that God has already poured out. It's one of those things that's just available in Him. Let's draw near the one who can open His hand and satisfy the need of every living thing. Whatever it is you think you need right now, I'm telling you, it's in Him. He's the source of life. Every good and perfect thing comes from Him. And so if you need something good, who needs something good this morning? I, I need something good. Let's draw near to Him. It's not an obligation. It's not a requirement of the law. It's a promise. It's a promise. So, Father, we say in the name of Jesus, we want to draw near to you today and bless your name. We want to declare that you are good. We want to declare that you are the Lord of all. Amen. Let's worship him. Let me just bring some clarity to what uh, Ben is singing because this is not a heresy. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. He's talking to you. He says, you are the light. He said it another place in John 7, I think it is, or 6. He said, to him that believes, out of their innermost being will flow rivers of living water. The way that rivers of living water get into the realm of the earth is it comes from people. We are fountains. We are the ones that release joy. If God is going to do something on earth, he sat down on the right hand of the throne of God, and he's waiting for us to do it. You have the ability to release light and life and joy into this world. And the enemy's whole strategy is to shut you up, to shut you down, to get you discouraged, to get you in self-pity, to get you looking at yourself, navel-gazing. Why me? What's wrong with me? And then God is saying, listen, just in verse that, forgive, let go, praise, run hard, love, give, serve. You are the light of the world. So when you open your mouth and you believe that, there's rivers of living water that literally begin to pop out of your life. And that's what changes the atmosphere of a room like this. 
is, is more and more of us start opening up and suddenly that water that's in you that's connected to the river of God starts, you know, shooting up like a fountain. So let's be that fountain right now in Jesus' name. Let there be light. I want you to picture something while we're doing this because, I mean, the goal of what Jesus intended the church to be, he said, my house will be a house of prayer. I mean, we have teaching, we have instruction, we have all kind of prayer, you know, ministry prayer. We have other things going on. But the intent of God is that this will be a house of prayer for all nations. Among other things, that means this. Among other things, that means we're praying for the nations. We're praying for those out there. And I want to tell you right now, there's exciting things happening in denominational churches in our region. There's something beginning to break open in churches around the, that could be possibly be explosive for revival. And I'm not going to mention which denominations, but we are contending right now that the river of God would explode in our community, that it begin to touch every community of believers, every community of believers. That's what we're praying for. We're not just having a good time here. You are a fountain. You are releasing water, but you want to be directing that water. You want to see that going. Participate knowingly in the process. Believe. Believe, release life, see people getting saved, see people getting filled with the Holy Spirit, see people getting healed, see people coming alive who are, who are asleep spiritually. Father, in Jesus' name, we say, let the life of God, let the heavens blow upon the earth. Let your church, let the people who name your name come alive. Let them, let them experience the joy. Let them experience the joy. Listen to me. When I, when I say these words, let there be life. You know, when I was a young Christian, I, I couldn't do that because I had to seek permission. I had to, I had to know, well, God, is it your desire to bring? I don't have to ask that question anymore because, A, I know it is his will. I know that he wants to bring life. I know, you know, it doesn't mean that there aren't situations where you discipline somebody, but it's even that is to bring life. So, so I can safely say, let there be life. And I, I remember I was trying to always, as a young Christian, posture myself with what God is saying. And now I've realized that God is saying, listen, let it be to you according to your faith. Let it be to you according to what you believe. What do you really believe, Mark? And I'm asking you this. I'm asking you, what do you believe? What do you believe right now? Do you believe God wants to bring life to this earth? Who believes that? I want to see a show of hands. Okay. Let there be life then. Come on, speak it. Your faith is near you, even in your mouth. What do you believe? Let there be life. 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 Wow. Can you, can you feel that? 
Listen, when the woman with the issue of blood who needed healing came to impress the crowd and touched Jesus, and power immediately went out for him, he, Jesus understood that was a faith dynamic. She believed, and she touched, and it was released. She never, he never asked her the question, who told you you could do that? Because it, was, it isn't about law. It's about what works in the kingdom of God. And what works in the kingdom of God is when you believe and you reach out and touch God, something flows to you. If you believe and you reach out and you touch God, something flows to you. Furthermore, if you're mature and you're touching God, something flows through you. Something flows through you. Something flows through you. And that's why prophets can stand up and declare the word of the Lord. They, didn't have, they don't necessarily have to have a dream because they are connected to the river of God. And they feel the unction of what God desires. So they say, be it unto you according to your faith. This is what my faith says, that God wants this land to be touched. God wants my neighbor to be saved. God wants me to have an abundant life. God wants me. God wants me to experience him. And he wants the unsaved to know who he is. So we release that right now, Lord. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Yeah, come on. Yes, we believe. Continue to let your sound be released. But even as this is happening, I see angels coming to minister I see them bandaging. I see knees being touched. I, I, I see different joints being touched. I see, literally see angels coming and wrapping and pouring a balm of oil on, 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 on uh, wounded knees, wounded parts of the body. As this sound continues, there are some people in the room today You've never had a profound experience with God, even to the point where sometimes you doubt whether any of this is real. But I feel like God is saying to you, if you will humble yourself now and lean into me, I will begin to give you what you've seen others have. But you must humble yourself and begin to lean into me. Start with words of faith. Lord, I believe you are. I believe you died and rose again. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you came to give us abundant life. I believe you are the source of all that is good. I believe. I believe. I believe. Don't be afraid. Don't doubt. Now there's... I believe there's something that God is doing here. One of the things he's doing is he's wanting to deal with doubt. And I, many of us are extreme believers and we could, we could press into God. But I just have such a heart for those who are trying to satisfy doubt. And I want to tell you that doubt can never be satisfied. Because doubt is not an entity in of itself. It is not a pursuit of evidence. It is a door to the realm of darkness. It is an open door. It's like a black hole into all that is dark and all that is wrong and all that is absent of God. And so you can't satisfy that with information. You've got to close that door. That's why in the kingdom of God, it is faith that pleases God. 
Faith pleases God. And God does not feel he has to satisfy the needs of doubt. He doesn't have to prove himself. God is quite satisfied in who he is. And he's quite uh, secure about who he is. And he doesn't need to prove to men who, are, who can never be satisfied who and what he is. He instead requires that man believe. And so in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we close the door to doubt. We close the door to doubt. We close the door to doubt. We close the door to doubt in the name of Jesus. You can ask questions, but there are questions that come out of faith and there are questions that come out of doubt. The questions that come out of doubt cannot be satisfied. That's why Jesus never answered them. But the questions that came out of faith, God was happy to respond to. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Father, for those who have closed the door to doubt, we say, let an angel stand and seal that door. Let that door today be closed and be forever closed. It will not cast a shadow on the journey of faith that's before us. Break, break, break every last residue, every last residue of, of doubt in Jesus' name. We break it. Man, there is a dynamic presence up here and if you don't feel it back there i encourage you to come forward because there's i can feel this flow right here in the middle of the room mm. Do we dare to believe? See, for so long we've walked on a substance that we could imagine. That we could come up with ourselves, That we could walk on and it made sense. But there's a great transition coming to us as people. There's a great transition that God is getting us to step out of and on to. And we have a picture of it in the scriptures where Peter got out of something that was safe and stood on a substance that he had no business walking on. And we've talked about this for years and years and years. But I'm telling you, the time to believe, the time to dare to believe, to dare to get out of the boat, to dare to stand on something is upon us. And the call from heaven is simply, do you dare to believe? Do you dare to walk on this thing that you know shouldn't work, but in heaven it works? In heaven it makes sense. In heaven it is possible. In heaven it is everything. And he's bringing that revelation to the earth. He's bringing the substance that you can walk on in heaven to the earth. The boardwalks and the pavement and the streets and the roads that have made, been made by our hands are crumbling. 
and the streets of translucent gold are being deposited on the earth. Some of us today have repented for requiring proof from God. Every time something went wrong in your, in your life or any hint of something not perfect, you had to create an argument as to why. That's because you're wrestling still with doubt. The Lord says, simply believe. And faith may seem to be naive to those who cannot see, but it's because faith sees. Those who believe see. And those who need to be convinced cannot see. So, Lord, open our eyes more than they're already open. Cause us to see. To see the world not made with hands. To see the power that causes the things that are seen to exist. Lord, move our vision off of what can be seen, which is temporal to what cannot be seen, because it's eternal. Thank you, Lord. I see people tethered to what they understand, and it can only come so far. Yet the Bible clearly says, uh, blessed is he who who leans not on his own understanding. But when you are tethered to what you will understand, when you can only go so far in worship, when you can only, uh, you know, do what seems reasonable, when, you're, when you look with suspicion on anything that's new, that hasn't been done before in church, immediately you're tethered to what you understand. But man, blessed is the man who does not lean, does not lean on his own understanding. What's he going to be like? What's that man going to be like who does not lean on his own understanding? He's going to be like the man planted by the river. I want to be planted by a river. I want to participate in that river. This is the essence of what ministry is. This is the essence of everything we're being trained to do. We're not here to learn to parrot words and theologies and doctrines. We are here to learn to manifest Him. We are manifesting the invisible. Thank you, Lord. Can you say amen? Out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. That's kind of a mystical thing, right? You know, uh, I remember when I first saw that, and I, I began to come into the experience of it, and it's like, whoa, this is, this is actually for real. This is really happening. It's not just a faith thought. You know, sometimes you have faith thoughts. It's like you believe something that you know isn't true. That, that's actually not a faith thought. That's a presumption. But actually, the experience of it began to be more and more solid in my life. That I actually could feel the current of life coming through me. That's why Jesus was able to say to the woman, uh, or to his disciples, who touched me? Because he felt the current of life. It was real. It wasn't imagined. 
wasn't just this vague idea that Christians, you know, parrot. But it is, for some of us, a vague idea that we parrot because, you know, people we admire say it. How do you cross over to the realm of experience? Well, part of it has been already answered this morning. But here's what happens in the church all the time. Is we have, I believe, and so rivers of living water are flowing out of my being. And because of that, I'm, uh, I'm saying things a certain way. I'm making certain sounds. I'm worshiping. You know, I, 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 uh, I jump, I dance, I shout, I prophesy, or do those things. And there's a certain predictability to the way I do it. You know, and, uh, but, you know, if somebody comes behind me and starts mimicking what I'm doing by replicating the sounds, I mean, you can't really hear the sound of this water, but it actually is making a sound. Somebody coming behind you replicating with their mouth the sound of water going out is not releasing water. Too often, when we don't believe, that's all we get. That's all we get. And it becomes twofold. It becomes a problem for us. But a part of becoming somebody who actually releases water is evaluating whether you do release water. What's that scripture that says... Uh, Test yourself whether you be in the faith. What? Are you willing to find out? Or are you... Sometimes, you know, we're so afraid, we don't even want to look at what we do or the degree to which it's actually water or noise we're making with our, our mouths. And sometimes we are releasing some water, but not enough to make more noise, so we supplement Everything that's done in the flesh establishes something of the kingdom of darkness. Everything that's not of faith is sin, it says in Romans. And that's what the enemy seizes upon to those who doubt. Well, look at that person. They're just doing that, and it's, it's, it's kind of annoying, and it's empty, and it's vain, and there's no evidence of any authority in their lives Yet they're doing it exactly the way that guy's doing it. What does that do if it doesn't diminish in the eyes of those who are starting to believe the validity of what is genuine and authentic? So what's the solution? Well, there's no real solution because we're always going to have people who in good faith, trying to be, you know, as a part of this, who are going to be going shh, And I'm not saying there isn't room for us in worship. I'm not criticizing us in worship echoing sounds of creation. I'm not saying that, so do not that's not the point of this illustration. But there's always going to be people in our midst because there's always going to be reasons for us to stumble and pe reasons for people not to believe. There's always going to be pretenders in the church and there's going to be people who are just uninformed and there are going to be hypocrites. That's to test to see if you actually really believe. But what we need to do is have the humility to say, to people we believe are actually releasing water. Am I, am I really releasing water? Do I need to do something? Am I, you know, uh, how much of what I'm doing is style and how much of what I'm doing is genuine? You know, sometimes we hear a pastor pray a certain way and we quickly adopt the way they pray. You know, that we love, you know, I just, I like that punctuated, in the name of Jesus. Man, that just sounds so authoritative. I've been practicing that for weeks. You don't practice that. 
if it doesn't come out with conviction, if you're not lost in the moment, then it's not really yours. But it can become yours by humbling yourself, by refusing what is an imitation and, and leaning into what is real and continuing to believe that it is Israel, that it is real. So, Father, we say in the name of Jesus, make us vessels through, through whom the water, the river of life pours. Father, in the name of Jesus, make us authentic, genuine manifestations of the river of God. Now, let me just add something for perspective. When, when the river of God is coming out of the eastern gate of Jerusalem and goes through the land, and it says wherever it goes, uh, it, whatever it touches will live, right? That's a picture of the river of God from Revelations 22. But if you've ever seen a river from heaven going into the ocean, like the Mississippi or something, one thing you realize is that it's cleaner in parts than in other parts. Now, the further it comes from its source, the less clean it is. You know, the Mississippi flowing in, it's a muddy water. And somebody wrote a song, you know, I love that muddy water. Well, I don't love that muddy water so much. I love clean water. But here's the thing. We can be releasing water, but we can be releasing water that's muddied. And uh, a part of the development of your faith is God is moving you up the river in a metaphoric sense to a purer source. So there's two elements. Uh, it's the kind of water you're releasing, pure, unadulterated, not touched by the earth. And then there's another issue around ministry. It's not only the, the level or the place from which you're drawing the water, that is your river that you're pouring out in the ministry you're doing, but is how much volume do you have the capacity in God to release? The reason why some people uh, touch nations and seemingly do nothing different than the person who only touches, you know, a thousand has to do with access they're given and volume that they're given to release, right? You can only, you know, if, you, if you're feeding dogs water and you only have a liter, you can only feed so many dogs, right? You are limited by the supply, which has to do with the aperture of your spirit. And that has something to do with maturity, but it also has something to do with calling. Part of what God is doing is recognize who you are. Recognize what you have. Recognize what you don't have. Be humble. Be prepared. Just be ready to discover, God, I don't want to pretend I'm this and I'm releasing this much water or when I'm really producing this much water and it's muddy. God, I want better water, and I want to release more. What must you do in me to do that? And that's what the journey's about. Now, having said that, I want to give a prophetic word. There's somebody here, for a long time, you've desired to be rich. You've desired to have a lot of money. And on some level, you have felt that it is your destiny to have a lot of money. And I feel that there is actually a destiny around your life, that you are meant to be super rich. But you haven't been super rich. In fact, uh, uh, though you've had some means at different times, there is this missing link where it seems like things sort of come to a place and then they fall apart, come to a place and they fall apart, come to a place when they fall apart. And the Lord is saying, this is not the enemy, this is me. 
And it's not because I don't want you to enter your destiny, but your destiny hinges on who you are becoming. And I'm making you into somebody different because you are more important to me than money. You are more important to me than being super rich. And so I'm doing something in your life in order to make you into the kind of man of destiny that I, uh, I've meant you to be. And then I'm going to bring you into your destiny. But the reason it's not happening is not because the idea is not good enough, but because there is a missing link. And that missing link is what I'm doing in your heart. So, Father, we receive each of us this word for our destinies. Whether our destiny has to do with a ministry whether our destiny has to do with business, whether our destiny has to do with, uh, Lord, just being a Christian and raising our kids and loving our grandkids, whatever our destiny is, Father, we want to manifest it fully. So, God, do in us what you need to do. Amen? Hallelujah. All right. Who, who brought a Bible with them? Any kind of Bible, any kind of digital, physical Bible. I presume those that didn't have memorized theirs. Good for you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these beautiful people. And, you know, and I, I have to say, I, I love your faces. Even, you know, some are sadder than others. Some are happier. Some are, are uh, you know, better looking than others. Some are hairier. Some are less hairy, uh, but I really do love your faces. Look around the room a little bit, don't you? These are the people you will spend eternity with. Yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> yeah. These are the people you will spend eternity with. So you're going to have to love them. Hallelujah. Um. But no, uh, seriously though, I, I have forgotten certain things. And sometimes that's good. Sometimes God makes us forget certain things. Otherwise, we would be too sensitive uh, to one thing over another. And um, for example, you know, I mean, I remember as a young person watching war movies. And uh, if, if your disposition as a general in an army is to preserve the life of all your soldiers, you will never take them to war, right? If, if you're cognizant about the mothers, fathers, wives, and children, and, you know, you would never put anybody's life at risk. But so, so in one sense, you have to be not oblivious, but that cannot be your central focus when you're leading an army. Otherwise, you just, you just wouldn't have the heart to do anything, and so, you know, that may be a skill, it may be a disposition, but in the kingdom of God, sometimes God causes you to be less aware of something uh, because he means for you to stand and continue to call people to, to a, a point of growth or maturity or whatever it is. And so, recently, it's, I've been remembering how I used to be. And I was remembering particularly how I used to have a performance orientation. And part of that is coming back to me because I'm talking to people. And God is dealing with performance orientation in their life. And, and let me quickly explain what I mean by performance orientation. That when you become a son of God, when you truly become 
comfortable with the fact that you are God's child and God absolutely adores you, uh, you have a certain security about you that you don't have if you still feel like your life is on the fence. And um, so that, that the mindsets of those two things is kind of illustrated in Romans when it talks about the spirit of slavery and the spirit of sonship. That there's these two things. The spirit of slavery causes fear. The spirit of sonship causes, uh, well, everything that sonship represents. It causes security, it causes faith, causes you to be able to access the presence of your father, you know, without fear, without dread, without, you know, you can enjoy him, you can enjoy everything about him, because even when he's rebuking you, you know it's for your good, and, and, and you know that it's, it's never to disown you or to diminish you in, in any way. It's always to bring you up. Now, if you're a slave, on the other hand, the mindset of the slave, did we go over this a few weeks ago? A few months ago? The mindset of the slave is that my, what, I, what I can make for my owner, what I can benefit him, will determine my value. And so I'm always on a sliding scale. You know, make a mistake, you fear. All right? So by that simple measure, you can start to think about who are you? Who are you? Are you a son or are you a slave? Or, you know, again, to some degree, because we're moving into sonship. How secure are you? Now, there's a lot of things we could talk about there, but, and I don't want to get into too much, but, but that's a very important question. But the truth is God is leading us into sonship. He is, he is increasing our capacity to function as sons and, uh, and, uh, and, and be free and be secure. Now, because of that, and because of something that happened to me 25 years ago, and it wasn't a gradual thing. I mean, I literally have a visitation of the glory of the Lord on me that from that point forward, for since then, I have not ever had the attitude of a slave. It was boom. It was broken broken over my life. And uh, I want to, that, that does bring certain complications, to, I have to say, because uh, fear can be a great motivator. You know, uh, when you fear man, you tend to have the discipline to do what man requires. <laughs> when you know God is forgiving and he still loves you anyway, sometimes, you know, I remember being in a church and working with a, a young, uh, uh, well, not the church, but there was a, a daughter of the pastor, and the pastor was really mean to me. And, uh, you know, and I was talking to the daughter one day, and the daughter says to me, say, you know, he's not that bad. You know, his bark is worse than his bite. Well, that's of little comfort to me because you are a daughter, I am not. Right? So you, you actually... You have a history and a blood connection, and you, you, know, you have a natural inheritance. I do not. The only reason he has to keep me is my efficiency as a, as a member of his staff. Can you see how it doesn't matter. Your perspective does not help me. And so because, but she, because she's a daughter, she can get away with certain things that the slave can't, Right? And so when you were operating in the mindset of a slave, slaves tend to be more faithful than sons sometimes. 
Now, prophetically, okay, prophetically, don't get all negative on me. We are moving to a place where there is going to be a generation of sons who are volunteers in the Davis power, who fully, fully fulfill his, his heart. But let me tell you, when, the, when the, the encroachment of fear comes off of your life, sometimes you can play it a little loose. Right? So, um, anyway, food for thought. But, but for a long time now, I have not been had the constraints of, of the whole... Um, I should get my glasses because I'm having a hard time reading. I just realized these words are very fuzzy. Uh, I, I wrote a few things down just to keep me focused. That's, that's the, just the cry of somebody who wants to be in the cry room. I interpret. I feel the interpretation. Take me to the cry room. See? I'm prophetic. So I have not for a long time operated under that mindset. Now, one of the greatest implications is I forget that it even exists. And that's a positive thing. I just, I just don't even think that way. Furthermore, I do not think that anybody else thinks that way. <laughs> right? And that's a good thing. Actually, that's a, that's a part of the na- naivety of, of being coming into greater faith and maturity. You know, the Bible says uh, we're, we're told to think of others as better than ourselves, right? The, what, what actually, you tend to believe people are like you. You always do. So if you are tend to be a little bit deceptive, guess what? You will manifest a tendency to want to believe that others are deceptive. If you are on some level not trustworthy and easily offended, you will be tiptoeing about others and you, you know, you, you will be, you'll tend to write them off easily. That, you know, that's the nature of transformation. When you actually become uh, God changes you on some level, you just begin to expect that everybody else is that way, and you forget what it's like to be the other way. So I, I keep getting reminders of that, but it's very important. This is, what, this is what has happened since I've become a son, is I've begun to view God and all the things he demands of me in a totally different light. Um, there's a scripture in 1 John 5. Let me read it to you. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to it. It'll give you a second to turn to your electronic Bibles. Maybe, it's, maybe it'll pop up there. Uh, 1 John 5. I'm going to read the first five verses because it's all good. It says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him, who begot, also loves him who is begotten of him. All right, so there's, this is kind of interesting. Just maybe make a note of this. There's two things that are sort of evidence of, of your salvation. One is that you love Jesus and that you believe in him. Okay, just two fruits of uh, actual salvation. And then it goes on to say, but this is we know we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Hmm, interesting. I remember reading that as a young Christian. 
you know, of course, believing it. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. No, no, no. The love of God is telling me I don't need to do anything. The love of God is telling me my sin doesn't matter. No, the love of God is telling, yeah, it is some of those things, but it, all is, it is also this. And I remember as a young Christian, I didn't have a grid for that. What, the love of God is his commandments? What does that mean? Anybody know what that means? For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. He who is he uh, who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes Jesus that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, this is actually a pretty complicated passage of scripture, and there's some very, very cool dynamics. So I won't I won't try to go into all of it, but let me say this. This is the part I wanted to focus on, and I'll try and keep myself from going to the other juicy stuff, but it's this. His, his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. This is the love of God if we keep his commandments. Wow. What it means is this, is that in the Bible, um, when it's talking about doing and not doing, being and not being, it's, you know, uh, it's actually describing characteristics of what it's like to be in one world or another. And I've talked about this before. You know, when John is saying, saying, listen, this is the evidence you're in the kingdom of God. And this is the evidence that you're partaking from the flesh. That's how all the apostles taught. You go and you start looking. And that's, that's what he said. He said, listen, he's not saying do this. And then that will be the evidence that you're, you know, if you do it better, that's more evidence that you're son of God. No, he said, no, the sons of God, the sons of God do this. And the sons of Satan do this. Well, <laughs> I do both of those, which is part of the problem. And so what we're actually talking about then is the source of our behaviors. Our behaviors are coming out of different sources, different, you know, and so and what, what our journey is then is to, is to cut off our connection to one and not the other. And the beauty of it, what happens is that you get to the place where his commandments are not burdensome. One of the things that, that I feel, and this is why I have struggled so much with people who have a religious mindset or a performance mindset, I don't think along the lines of condemnation. I think along the lines of sonship. And, and as a son, his commandments are not burdensome. Why? Because he's not making me trying to do something I don't want to do. He's not making me do something that's bad for me. He's not making me do something because he wants to rule over me and show how, my, how superior he is. I don't struggle with those thoughts at all. And if you took some time and thought about in your natural relationships why you're reluctant at different times to do what others want you to do, you'll realize that one of those three things come into play all the time. Well, I don't want to do that. That's why it's onerous. But when you, when you are a son, when sonship starts to take root in your life, his, his commandments are not burdensome. 
They, be, they come a, become another class of thing. It's kind of, they become just a part of God's efficiencies in your life. It's like a person says, you know, uh, if you go outside in the rain, you're going to get wet. Right? You know, quit threatening me. I'm not threatening you. I'm telling you what is. Right? Well, you're just, you're just condemning me. Wet, you know, if wet is a really bad thing, and if I guess if you want to be cold, it's not, but let's say it's a really bad thing. You're just condemning me. No, I'm not condemning you. I'm just telling you that that is the condition you will be in if you go to that location. It has nothing to do with anything. Now, the reason why you're resisting that commandment is either you're, you know, very rebellious and you just don't want to do it or you don't believe that there's rain out there, whatever it is. But me saying you're going to get wet if you go out there should not be a burden to you. His commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are all designed for the purposes if you want a good life, if you want abundant life, if you want to align yourself with everything that is good, if you want to participate in this uh, Niagara of goodness that comes down from him, then get under him, align with him, and all these good things will happen. That's, what the, that's why the, the commandments of the Lord are not burdensome. So it really comes down to what do you believe about the motive behind the commandments? Is there some secret agenda? What you believe about the one giving the commandments will determine your capacity to align with them, which is what sonship is really about. Sonship is about coming to the place where I really trust him. I really know this is, this is the best thing. You know, uh, this morning... Uh, just ahead of scripture, it says, it's from Hebrews 12, but it says this, and we'll maybe look to it. He says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Is it be, not because he loved the cross, but because through the cross, there was going to be this destiny, this blessing to all the universe. Therefore, I, he endured the cross in order to accomplish that. So, I am able to embrace the commandments of God and they're not burdensome for the joy that's set before me. And the joy that's set before me is my destiny. I, I want to be conformed to the image of him because I've discovered the more I conform to the image of him, gee, things just get better. And I, and I experience more life. Now, And I'm not talking about, you know, life and that everything's cozy and everything's great. I'm talking about my capacity to experience him. Because there's a lot of people who are being obedient and they're in prison. And, you know, they're not experiencing wealth and nice houses and things like that. But what they are getting is a capacity to experience the purity of God on a level you and I might never be able to comprehend. So his commandments are not burdensome. All right, so that's, I just wanted to establish this for the beginning because 
because I'm going to go into something, and there's a, a command that I want to I want to rehearse to us. And I've just realized, and as this morning as I was praying, I it's like we do things religiously. And again, that's another mindset that I don't understand. People come to church to fulfill the requirement of coming to church, you know, and they feel guilty. I'll go to church, and they come spend a few minutes, and uh, then they go home. Well, people go to the gym like that. You know, I've seen people go around the gym, and they never really work out, but they got the clothing, the water bottle, but they don't really work out. But they can say to their friends, yeah, I was at the gym for half an hour today. <laughs> you know, again, utility is the end of the goal. There's, there's a purpose. Transformation is the reason we come to church, not to fulfill obligation. Unless you're a slave, in which case you don't understand the commandment, and it's burdensome, and it's a drag, and then you do it. Uh, uh. <laughs> so, here's the, here's the commandment I want to get into. And I'm going to try and touch on it. It's not a new one. It's an old one. Uh, so, it's in uh, Matthew 18, verse eight, uh, 21. I'm going to start reading. And, and this, again, you've seen this before, but let me quickly read it. So then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall I, my brother, sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Now, Peter, you have to realize, he was, he was trying to be a brown noser. He, uh, he thought, this is going to really impress Jesus. Man, the law says, you know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. He's talking about this mercy stuff. <laughs> Watch this. Watch this. He is going to, Peter, you are amazing. So he said, up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Oh, what? 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 See, Peter was not of the right mindset yet because he was still that thing about love and forgiveness. And that's a, it's an obligation. That's a burden. Man, to do that, it just, uh, it's so hard. But again, Jesus is thinking in terms of utility. The reason I want you to do it 70 times 7 is not to fulfill a requirement of the law, but you will change if you do this. You will move out of this world and into this world. And the reason I say 77, 77 times is somewhere along the way, 490 times or whatever, it ceases to matter. That's what you realize. You just get over it. You just get over the point. Because what you're actually doing is you're diminishing the manifestation of this. And I can't go into the, the, the structure of that, but, but let, let, me, let me go on here and, and read the Scripture. The reason these things are saying there, because God is saying, listen, this will align you to your destiny. This will cause you to participate in more of the kingdom of God. This will cause you to be a river of life. And in this case, forgiveness. 
you will grow in your ability to forgive. And then I'll tell you later on, there's an added benefit, which is even better than that. I mean, imagine if you never needed to forgive, if it was never an issue. You know, when you, when you love people and they make a mistake and they come and say they're sorry, and like, oh, yeah, it's fine. There's, there's no offense here. You're over a hump. I'm just glad that you're restored. That's a manifestation of the Father. So Jesus said to him, I say, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him and owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made is his debtor's prison. And the servant therefore fell before him, saying, Master, have patience with, thee, with me, and I'll pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion and released him and forgave him the whole debt. But the servant went out, found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. And this fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, I will repay you. Uh, and, and he would not. He wouldn't have patience. And he went and threw him in the prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved. And they came and told the master all that had been done. And the master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you also not have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers. Or the uh, King James Version said the tormentors until he should pay all that was due him. Verse 35. This is, this is interesting, interesting. So my heavenly Father also will do to you, if each of you does not from his heart forgive his brother his trespasses. So shall my father do to you. Now, that seems kind of punitive, right? You know, the idea is God is not punitive. No, he isn't punitive, but he realizes that there's cause and effect in your life. If you don't realize that the cause of this is this, then you're going to keep doing this. Right? And so, in order to keep you from doing this, which is really about bringing you into alignment with him, he's got to show you cause and effect. All right? Because you're doing it. Now, if you weren't doing it, he, you know, if somehow you appreciated the value of that commandment and it was not burdensome, then you could just walk in it. But, but if, you're, if you're not doing it, then it's, you don't want to walk in it. It is burdensome. I don't want to do that. And God is sitting up in heaven saying, clearly you don't see the value. This is actually for you. This is for your good. I, I aim to set you free. I'm going to... I'm going to deliver you through forgiving others. 
And so he delivers them over the tormentors, but it's not punitive. It's, it's so that you can realize cause and effect. Now that's the way I look at the law of God. That's why it's not burdensome to me. That's how I look at the discipline of God. That's how I look at the restraint of God. That's how I didn't become bitter again and again and again through the circumstances. Well, you know, because people say, well, you don't understand what happened to me. You know, the church beat me up. The church was mean to me. You, you know, probably. But let me tell you some of my story. And I love the church. I love the church. I love the people of God. How did you get that way? Because I forgave. I forgave. I forgave. I forgave. I forgave. And what I began to realize was that what I was doing by forgiving is I was, I was refusing to let the defectiveness of others define me. I was actually becoming autonomous. Hello. I was actually becoming free. When... When your actions will determine the course of my life, I am not free. You know, I was telling this to a group Friday morning about, uh, about what we need to do around people. Have you, ever, have you ever been in a room where you feel like somebody doesn't like you? Yeah? Like, like all night last night, right? <laughs> uh I, I, I've been in situations, you know, there's some people you're drawn to, and I used to, I didn't really understand this before, but some people you're drawn to, and, it, and I used to think, well, it's just because, you know, we have this in common, or I like them, or they're this or that, and the other thing. I never thought that much, but actually, often, when I felt repulsed from people, it's because they didn't like me, and I didn't like them because they didn't like me. And so what I did is I talked to everybody else in the room, but not to them. And uh, w w by doing that, I, mean, well, I won't explain all the social dynamics of that, but you actually just escalate the problem. But more than that, you are defined by that person's dislike of you. So what I started doing is, is forgiving people and then repenting every time I was hurt because I was realizing the only reason I needed to forgive is because I got offended. And I'm not supposed to be offended. So... Man, if you get that, if you, if you never become offended, there's nothing to forgive anymore, right? You don't have to get over that because it's like, oh, it's there, but, you know, they're just immature. Or they just don't know. They don't, just don't understand. They'll come around. They're in a journey. They, you know, you are able to give grace. So, anyway, but what I began to realize is that you know, and I like most people, so it's actually starting to stand out now because, you know, occasionally I run across and there's somebody I'm not drawn towards. I'm thinking, why not? And I, the Lord starts saying, well, they don't like you. And what you're doing is you're feeling that dislike and you're honoring it. They're creating a bubble of security. They feel that, you know, you're dangerous or you're untrusted or something, and you by steering away from that, are not giving them a chance to get over that. So I said to the group the other day is, today is the day when we have to stop being defined by the lines that others are drawing. And I love that Bill Hammond said this, I heard it in Dallas last year. He said, 
He said, you know, when people drew a circle to exclude me, I drew a bigger circle and included them. I love that. But do we do that? Do we actually do that? You know, well, I never got invited to that party. And that guy did, that guy did. That's it. I'm having my own party, and I'm not inviting them. It's how they feel. That's kind of the way we do it, right? And we perpetuate, we reinforce, we build that, and then we're, we actually start to create actual offense on top of the dislike in order that there'll be division. Well done. You are a builder of division. Always wanted to be a builder. So what God is saying is, listen, that, that recoil impulse that you have when you feel that, you know, you, you, can, you can change that. And we were talking about in the office this morning, uh, you know, when you have little magnets. My dad used to give us little magnets. These used to have a little white dog and a little black dog with magnets on their feet. Anybody have those when you were kids? Well, they must be from Ontario. Anyway, uh, okay, I guess it wasn't as popular as the slinky. But, you know, when you, when you, the, the poles, when you try to put the negative end of the magnet to the negative end of the magnet, it kind of has this cool feeling. They repel each other. Uh, so when you have an impulse to repel the person who's repelling you, what does that mean? You're oriented the same way. That's what that means. So what God is saying is like, this is a bondage in your life that's defining your relationships, defining the capacity of your life, and it's limiting who you are. I command you to forgive. What? That is burdensome. No, it's not. It is freedom. It is the way that you can get free so that you can love people who don't like you and not be affected by their, you know, heat shields. So I learned to do that. When I came to the church, I remember uh, taking people out who I knew didn't want me here. One person had called somebody else and said, tell him not to unpack, he's not staying. Oh, <laughs> I love Jesus too. Uh, so what, what did I do? I started taking those people out for coffee and for lunch. Um, it mostly didn't change any of them, but it changed me. It, I will not be defined by your, your stuff. Furthermore, I knew to know me is to love me. And I thought, if you just really knew what was behind this crusty exterior, we could be friends. I'm telling you, I'm a lot of fun. <laughs> no, it's really about Conquering insecurities, conquering, you know, because the, those, those things that are still in you actually draw from the kingdom of darkness. 
And that's why, again, if you go back, start going to reread 1 John and reread James, and it's less of, there, there are, a, there's pointing to behavior, but especially John, it's about, it's about you're either this or you're that. What is he doing? He's saying, listen, some things come from below and some things come from above. Who are you going to be? And if you find yourself always bringing things from below, then here's how you can bring things from above. His commandments are not burdensome. I believe that we could ignite in a ball of glorious light and love. Oh, that'd be great because, you know, we need to change our community. Yeah, but we don't even have to touch our community to do that. All you have to do is start getting rid of those little pockets of resistance that are right here in the room. And don't look around. <laughs> if we would actually overcome our inability to be to draw near, to cross over those lines that others are drawing, or God forbid, if we'd start erasing the ones we're drawing then God will give us something for the unsaved. But when God is looking at the church and revival, he's always thinking, what can I bring the unsaved into? You ever seen people get saved and disillusioned within a couple of weeks about the church? You know, that's, that is on them because God has made a way for them to overcome that. But it's also on us. And if that's happening because we're political and unloving and selfish and unforgiving and spiteful and vengeful and religious and, 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 that's on us. So God is, God's commandments, and, you know, David said it so beautifully. He said, uh, uh, he started talking about in Psalm 119 how he loves God's precepts. He loves God's commandments. His, his law, oh, his law is, is like oil. It's like, it's like golden syrup on my tongue. And it's, what are you talking about? David tapped into something. He tapped into something. And he became free. Your influence as a believer in the world that you, God has placed you will depend on whether you align with this or not. Your freedom does not come out of what others provide. They come out of what you decide you want to enter into. And that is the, that is the, uh, the bounty of being a child of God. There is no limit to the freedom God will want to, can bring to you. Imagine no fear. Imagine no insecurity. Imagine never entering a room and wondering if the people whispering are talking about you. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in our lives. And we want to say, Lord, your commandments are not burdensome. But if they are, we choose today, this day, to orient ourselves to see that changed. We're saying, we're going to say, Lord, I must, there must be a spirit of slavery operating in my life. 
What is the fear? What is this thing that makes your, your commandments a burden? Why do I... What is all this? God, I want to change. I'm not content with coming to church and having a few behaviors aligned that people think I'm Christian. I want the freedom of a son. I want the liberty that comes with being led by the Spirit. I want the experience of being a son. I want the, the power of being a son. I want the promise of being a son. It's all available. But it begins with this. I believe you are a good God. I believe you're a good God. You know, there's a man who, who got a talent and hid it in the dirt, and it was one that got five, one that got ten. I think you've heard of that before. And he said, why didn't you at least put in my, 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 my stuff for, for interest? And he said, well, I knew you were a hard man who reaped where he did not sow. He, God judged him according to his perception of who he was, whether that perception was correct or not. He said, you acted like I was punitive. That's what you get. You get a punitive God. I actually believe that God command, God's commandments are to elevate me, that God's rebuke is to take me into destiny, that God's refinement is so that I can enjoy the white-hot beauty of who He is. And so I'm saying, bring it on. Amen? It's freeing. So, Father, I pray that you would begin to put your finger and that even if these little repulsions we have from people is not clear to us, for some of us it's very clear, but if it's not clear to us, Lord, we ask that you begin to make it clear uh, all the ways that we are reinforcing a slave mentality and a slave nature. God, we want to be sons who are free and led by the Spirit. God, we won't, don't want to be defined by the weaknesses of others. So, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, bring healing to our lives and enable us to forgive. Amen.